0: To it's a musical podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiance to see the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them.
1: I am the fiance. And I'm Drew. And we are off to the new Wimbledon Theatre this week for the first time in our podcasting history. Yeah. What are we going to go and see today, Drew?
0: We are going to see Dream Girls, which I am very excited to see in person.
1: Have you seen it before in person?
0: I have seen it before. I have not seen it before in person. I have seen the original Broadway cast in a recording. That's cool. I think it was on TV, but I was a child, so it's been a while. Uh, I have not seen the movie.
1: No, I've not seen the movie, but I'm very aware that it was very successful. came out December 2006, Mm -hmm. Beyonce, Jennifer Hudson,
0: Mm Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm.
1: Jamie Foxx. Yep. I'm I don't know who they play, but once we've seen it, I'm gonna try and guess um as to who played who. Yeah. Jennifer Hudson won an Oscar. And I can't remember if it's Best Supporting Actress or Best Actress. But I know that this this won a lot of Oscars. Mm-hmm. Or at least was nominated for a lot. But I've never seen the film. I've, I, I don't know much about this. I, I thought it was a biopic. Yeah. But you've said to me it's not. No.
0: So it is based on the sort of aspirations and successes of a lot of R and B acts, specifically people like the Supremes, the Shirelles. Uh, James Brown is referencing So that's
1: where I've kind of got the idea that it's a biopic because you saying the Supremes, because that's Diana Ross, isn't it? Diana Ross and the Supremes. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing people say that, okay, it's not a biopic, but it basically is because it's basically the story of the Supremes.
0: Um. With a lot of artistic license and characters that aren't called anything like...
1: Exactly, like it's not like you're going to see Diana Ross, but you're going to see an insert Diana Ross character and you're not going to see James Brown, but you're going to see an insert James Brown character here.
0: Yes, I think the references between the characters in the show and the real world people that they are based on is quite clear.
1: Yeah, so that's like, so there we go. That's why I thought it was a biopic. I thought it was the real life story of this group,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's not. Tell me about Dreamgirls. When did it come to be? What led to it? Who is the creative team behind it? Is there anyone I'm going to know behind Dreamgirls?
0: So Dreamgirls opened in December of 1981 at the Imperial Theatre on Broadway and it starred an all-star cast of black actors, which was a huge deal at the time because to have a show where you were casting predominantly black characters. I think there's one white guy um, and it's he's not a character. It's like a throwaway joke. And that's okay. it. Um, that was a huge, huge deal at the time.
1: Oh yeah, I can imagine, you know, that in terms of representation on the stage, there was very, very little. I mean, we've talked about it even in, you know, 2021 with things like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and... Mm-hmm you know representation still isn't where it should be nowadays for different groups of actors yeah so having something like a dream girls where you are put in the in the center of everything yeah as opposed to something like hesbury yeah yeah that you know this is this is your chance to shine but also you get to do a role that probably isn't a stereotype of a black performer
0: mm-hmm.
1: or your community, that it's hope. And I don't know, because I've not seen this, but I would hope it being kind of biopic and as important as it is, yeah. that these aren't stereotyped performances, that these are just, anyone could resonate with these characters.
0: yes. Like, and I think that's the point that they're going for. So Cheryl Lee Ralph, who played the character Dina originally on Broadway, which will currently mean nothing to you. It does. But you'll get it afterwards. She was interviewed uh, a couple of years ago about the reach of Dream Girls as a show. And they asked her if she had any inkling that Dream Girls would be as enduring as it's become. And she said, why would it not work for these white men to come up with a concept about black girls making it How could I not believe that that wouldn't be a hit? I had to believe it. It was my dream come true. So for these performers who were opening the show on Broadway, they had to believe in the show because this this was the dream. It's like black main female characters who have their own stories and interests and make it in the world is really interesting. But she is right. This show was written by two white men.
1: I was going to say that that, that would, I guess, if you know, go back in in time to nineteen eighty one, and we're doing this show, and we have we have nineteen eighty one sensibilities.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You probably would go into this not expecting much because it is two men, white men, yep, writing writing about characters that really they don't know.
0: Yeah, so Henry Krieger is the composer. He is white Jewish, and then Tom Iron is the playwright and lyricist and he's also white and they won Tony Awards for the show which this show deserved the Tonys obviously but there's obviously been a lot of talk about how these two white men have created this show that has been as long-reaching and as long-lasting as Girls has been however The talk is also, yes, but if this show had been written by two black men, would it have ever been produced?
1: Which is also a very fair point that, you know, you needed somebody to write it. And two white men are probably going to have at this point in time a far better influence Mm. than two black women would. Yeah. Or two black men would. And yeah, it got made and that's the important thing. Yeah. But it, it is interesting. And I think it does make me wonder a little bit about the characters going into it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I some we've talked about it before. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast, but we've certainly talked about it a lot. Is that when men write women.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: They're not always well defined, well developed. And it certainly isn't going to pass the Bechdel test. Oh no, you know. <laughs> so that that does make me wonder about what I'm going to think in terms of narrative and characters like maybe is Dream girls so beloved because of what it represents as opposed to what it actually presents. Yeah, does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. So do you know who Nell Carter is? No. Very famous singer and Broadway. She has been in an absolute ton of Broadway musicals, but most notably Ain't Misbehaving and Hello Dolly, Annie, South Pacific, like all the good stuff. She's also been in a lot of movies. She is in, uh, as a sort of cameo role, she's in Hair. I've
1: never seen Hair.
0: I love. I know you haven't. We're going to watch it at <laughs> some point. But... She's one of the inspirations for the main character of this show. Okay. And she was actually involved in the initial workshop of Dreamgirls under the name One Night Only. And then it was given the working title Project Nine because it was their ninth project together cool. for uh, Ina Krieger. So Nell Carter was cast as one of the main characters in it she was joined by Cheryl Lee Ralph and Loretta Devine, who were going to play the other two main female characters. However, Nell Carter then signed on to appear on a soap opera in the 70s. So they shelved it and then brought it back to the table, workshopped it again, and it caught the interest of Michael Bennett, who was at that time being very, very successful with a chorus line.
1: Yes. hmm
0: so they then named it Big Dreams which like I love reading through musicals and the names that they get before they end up with their final name
1: but yes. yeah because you see like Big Dreams on a marquee Not really No Dream Girls sounds great like you hear the term Dream Girls and I'm like I'm intrigued Big Dreams is just like GCSE drama
0: Yeah Stimulus. I think one night only is a really good title. One not
1: only is good, especially because you can see that on a marquee as well. Mm-hmm. Like, that sounds really fun. You could get, like, a nice stylized marquee. Maybe
0: not Project Nine. No. But, yeah, they had a couple of different workshops. They had Jennifer Lewis read for Effie, which is our main character. They had Jennifer Holliday came in as Nell Carter's replacement, right? And they were workshopping the show. And Jennifer Holiday quit because at the end of Act One, they were killing her character. So Effie White, the main character of the show,
1: would die at the end of Act. Would One. Die at
0: the end of Act One.
1: Kind of the psycho-ish, like you know, you you build this character up only for them to just go halfway through.
0: Exactly. And so they decided not to do that anymore.
1: That is crazy. I mean, I can't think of... The only show I can think of that really switches the focus Mm -hmm. at that point is like Book of Mormon. You go into it thinking like Elder Price is your main character and then like you have Man Up and suddenly like Elder Cunningham is like very clearly our main character now. And that is a really cool thing that doesn't happen in enough like musicals.
0: But can you imagine sitting through the whole first act of a musical with this main character and then them dying and you being like
1: oh yeah okay am I here to watch Lay Miz? yeah yeah I can't I don't hmm. well we'll see I mean maybe maybe I'll come out of Dream Girl saying they should have killed Effie you know
0: maybe but, but I don't that think does, you will
1: it does sound like a really weird thing to do especially if this is like biopic inspired mm mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So it opened eventually in 1981 and then closed in 1985 after 1,521 performances, which is pretty decent for the shows that we've talked about. Yeah. They then released a couple of the different songs from the show as singles and the sort of main song, And I Am Telling You I'm Not Going. Ended up being the number one single on the Billboard R and B charts That's in nineteen eighty two, which is a song that you will know from Glee,
1: <laughs> probably Mercedes. Yeah. yeah,
0: you will. I think you I definitely would it. recognize
1: it. I think I. I'm trying and I'm telling you. I don't know. I don't know how it goes, but I'm just trying to think of like.
0: You sang that to the beat of a completely different song, and now I have to figure out what that song was. <laughs> Subsequently it went on tours everywhere a I whole mean, bunch of different us tours what always happens it's closure all the way up to uh 2017 and a west end show of 2016 which was its london premiere at the savoy
1: really yes and so Amber... that's like nearly oh man what is it 81 91 2001 like 35 years later yep jeez mm-hmm. So the fact that we're actually seeing a tour of this show is pretty huge. Mm -hmm. Cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, It opened with Amber Riley taking over the role of Effie White. Amber Riley, obviously, as we know, is Mercedes. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she was a hit in that role. She uh, initially started doing seven out of eight shows during the week, which is pretty normal. For a leading actress in the West End, you normally get one uh, show off as your day off. Yeah. Uh, But then it was reduced in 2017 uh, to six times a week and then five in uh, the August of that year with Marisha Wallace and Karen Marv serving as her alternates.
1: Marisha Wallace was the original London Becky and Waitress. Yes. Yes. I know my waitress.
0: Yes, you do.
1: (laughs) Is that normal? Was that like a criticism of Amber Riley's performance or was it literally just a case of... She had
0: a lot of projects she was working on.
1: So, you know, helping her with her time. Mm -hmm. Fair enough.
0: And it sort of ended up with her sort of, I guess, weaning out of the show. Yeah. So she did less and less and then left eventually. And then uh, Marisha Wallace... Continued to do the role and then they replaced Amber Riley with Moya Angela, who played the role in the 2009 US tour. She came over here and reprised the role. Yeah. Yeah. And that closed in 2019. And now we have a so 15 not... month long tour.
1: So, not even a case of closing because of COVID. This, this closed a full year mm-hmm. before COVID. Yeah, so it was
0: already planned to close in January of that year. And then they which, started the tour here in 2021.
1: Just trying to think what is at the Savoy Theatre and where the Savoy Theatre is. Savoy Theatre currently has Pretty Women. So, or Pretty Woman. Yes. Pretty Women. It's
0: where I saw Legally Blonde.
1: Yeah, Pretty like Women is the Sweeney Todd, but from from the Judge Turpentine's point of view. <laughs> I I mean I don't know I don't know if I'm gonna say much more on Dreamgirls because I really don't know much about it. You know what I remember of the trailers is like for the for the film is like they've got big like beautiful costumes and a lot of glitz, a lot of purple. Mm-hmm. But like they are performers themselves, so I'm expecting a mix of like diegetic and non diegetic. Yeah, you know where we'll have the characters performing on stage as you know as if we're the audience, but then we'll also have. Moments backstage, and they'll be singing their songs like that. Mm -hmm. I know people say it's like really triumphant. Yes. So,
0: one of my favorite things that I came across when I was researching this is how completely ardently the creators of this show denied being influenced by the people that they are clearly influenced by. And it's because they were trying to avoid lawsuits. Fair enough. Which fair enough, but they had to uh, publicly deny that they were based on the Supremes, very Gordy, and any Motown
1: record holder.
0: Somebody also at one point asked Diana Ross if she had ever seen Dream Girls, and she publicly denied ever seeing it, despite including one of the songs from it in a concert that she did. Um and then there was like an urban legend that Diana Ross had gone to see Dream Girls in disguise so that no one would recognize her in the audience and that she'd stormed out at the end of Act One
1: Because she was like Because she didn't
0: like it. Which has no like proof to back it up, but I kinda love that. Like I love a I love a Broadway urban legend.
1: Oh god, yeah. These are those they, I love it when they take on a life of their own and you're like yeah. This is cool. Well, I am excited to see what this is like. Mm-hmm. I It's always interesting when we go into one and I really have no idea what to expect. Yeah. You know, when we, when we go into a show and it's been hyped for me and it's one I'm really excited to see, as opposed to one that I know very little about. So, you know, that makes me instantly a bit more intrigued yeah not necessarily excited but intrigued this is this is you know brand new territory for me so will uh dream girls be a dream come true or will it be a nightmare you'll have to find out when we return after intermission We are back. Yes, we are. We have returned from the wonderful New Wimbledon Theatre
0: mm-hmm.
1: after a very long night. It's a long old show. It is a it is a very long show, isn't it? It kind of surprised me. I felt Act Two, even though it was shorter, dragged at times. Yes. Act One flew by, and if you told me that Act One was the shorter of the two. I'd have believed you.
0: I think it's because more happens in act one and there are more time jumps in act two. So you're like, oh, we're in a different time now. Oh, this is happening.
1: Yeah. And those time jumps, not a fan.
0: They did get a bit confusing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Any time where I'm having to try and do maths in a performance to figure out Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where we're at or what's been on, or even where... I believe that we're five years in the future, but now you suddenly tell me we're seven years in the future and I'm trying to do the maths. Yeah. It takes me out of the world. I don't mind so much Act One. Like, you told me on the way back that actually, like, a few years have passed. And actually, for me, it was all like, oh, it felt very real time. that This was like six months.
0: Yeah, no, it's supposed to be years and years by the end of it.
1: But it's just not explicitly clear. One of the things I'll say... Going into this, this is like a Jekyll and Hyde musical for me mm-hmm. that there are things I adore about this, and there are things I don't i I cannot fault any of the performances, yeah, the performances are exceptional. Mm-hmm. this cast is so good. And the fact that they're so good, despite me feeling like there's some glaring omissions in terms of narrative and storytelling. Yeah. The fact that they're so good, despite, in my opinion, a really poor script. Mm-hmm. These actors are great. And the choreography, the direction of them is amazing. The director is uh, Casey Nicolau, Who... Is a Tony winner. Yeah. He won a Tony for best uh, direction of a musical mm-hmm. in the Book of Mormon. Yep. Uh, very, 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 you know, if you look at everything else, you know, he's directed The Prom, he's directed Mean Girls, Tuck Everlasting, Something Rotten, amazing CV. Mm-hmm. And you can see why the direction and the choreography in the show is so good. Yes, indeed. Uh, the costume and set design is amazing. And I think this show, so that, that is Tim Hatley. And he's Tony Award winner as well. Uh, Best in design for Private Lives. Nominated for Spamalot, nominated for Shrek, nominated for The Bodyguard. I
0: love Spamalot.
1: The glitz and glamour of this show is incredible. And like you're watching this and you're having some amazing performances, vocally, physically, matched with the most amazing sets and costumes and some brilliant transitions Mm -hmm. from one scene or one costume into another. I love that about this show. But what I don't love is the narrative. Yeah. And that it's like any moment that the performers aren't singing or dancing, and they're having to actually deliver the script. Yeah. It's less fun, and it's not their fault. I just don't I don't think the script has it in it, you know? Do you think that's fair, or do you think I'm being a little harsh?
0: No, I think that's fair.
1: I'm also going to try and hazard a guess as to who played who in the film. Right. And I'm not going to check, to see if I'm right. I'm just going to, this is what I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think Beyonce... Plays Dina. Yes. And I think Jennifer Hudson plays Effie.
0: Yeah, she famously put on weight to play the role of Effie.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think... I think Jamie Foxx plays uh, Jimmy Early. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I could see that. And I feel, even though he's probably too old for it... Eddie Murphy plays Curtis Taylor Jr.
0: I have no idea. I haven't seen the film. I assumed he played Cece because Cece doesn't really sing.
1: Well, no, because Cece's not in it. And Cece's like a little bit older than Jennifer Hudson. So Eddie Murphy is no way young enough to do that in
0: 2006.
1: Mm -hmm. I just think Jamie Foxx would have that manic energy to to play...
0: Eddie Murphy was Jimmy.
1: Eddie Murphy was Jimmy. Okay. And Jimmy Fox was Curtis. Wow, okay. So I got... I. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So, I think the cast are fantastic. And I, I do especially think that Nicole Raquel Dennis, who plays Effie, she's great. She is a, such a brilliant singer. And we'll talk about it, you know, highlights going forwards. Did you notice, I was looking at the um, credits, Brandon Lee Sears, who plays Jimmy Early, mm-hmm. was in the original West End Company of Be More Chill. I think he was the alternate squib.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. We never got to see him as the squib, but like I saw the odd Instagram here or there.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was, when I saw the When things, I
0: saw the videos, he was really
1: good. Really, really good. It it's a really, really talented cast, mm-hmm. and I can't fault them. So one of the things this show does straight away, and I'm thinking I'm gonna have a really great time with this, because the first thing we see, mm-hmm. we see uh the Dreamettes arriving to the Apollo Theatre, and we've obviously got all these different acts because it's like an amateur competition night. And we start off with, you know, a group coming forward and singing, and it has one of my favorite tropes, one of my favorite set pieces. Is when they turn around
0: mm-hmm. and they
1: muffle the sound so that it's like they're still performing to an audience, but we're now backstage. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's seamless and I really, really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. This scene does kind of a good job at introducing all of our key players, I think. That you have two women walking away because they're sick of dealing with Jimmy. Yeah. You have Jimmy's manager, mm-hmm. st- uh, is that Marty, struggling to kind of deal with Jimmy and, and find a group that will go on and perform with him. You have Curtis Taylor Jr. trying to sell cars in the background and trying to weasel his way into this industry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you have the Dreamettes come up on stage. Yes. With Effie in last, running a little bit late. Yes. I think it establishes the dynamic really, really well here between, you know, these six key players.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You get a sense that, I'll, I'll be honest, I never knew what to think of Effie. I didn't like her.
0: Yeah, I know. We talked about this after the show and we're jumping around a bit. We're talking about this one because it's a really long show and we don't want to talk for two and a half hours. Yeah. But I think this is one of those, like, you remember when we talked about Kinky Boots? And I was like, it's the the glass crack moment. Yes. Where you're like, oh, you're right. Like, the more you said about, like, but why does she act like that? And why does this happen? And why why is she complaining all the time? And I was like, do you know you're kind of right? Like yeah. I don't, I cannot think of a moment through the entire show where she's nice to anyone.
1: Effie is better once she's been grounded and she's had to work her way up. Yeah, on her own
0: in Act Two. Yeah, can you at, imagine if she died at the end of Act One?
1: I'd have actually been relieved, based on how she is in Act One, because the first thing we see her with is the fact that like she's dawdling, she's late. She's Mm -hmm. got a bit of an ego, whereas, you know, the other dreamettes, Dina and Laurel, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: are quite calm about this. And Dina's so modest as well. Laurel, you get the sense she's just really excited to be there and she's soaking in this atmosphere. Yeah. Effie just feels like she already has too much of an ego. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, even before they go on stage, she's complaining about the dress. She's complaining about the wigs, and I'm just like, "I I'd have ditched you a long time ago." Yeah. And then you know, when they have an opportunity to go on stage and be backup for Jimmy Early,
0: mm-hmm.
1: she's the only one who's like, "No, I'm not backup." And I just think your attitude stinks. Yeah. And. You get this throughout a lot of Act 1 and we'll, again, we'll talk through different moments of it. She eventually decides to go with it because everyone convinces her but they shouldn't have to convince her in this way. I just found her really unlikable and self-centred mm-hmm. and kind of hoping that she'd have a full from grace which is really weird because I'm rooting for everyone else. They do a really good job. I like their performance of Move, you're stepping on my heart. And I, I, I get a really nasty ideas about Curtis Taylor Jr. because obviously, they lose the talent show. Yes, but this is because he's going to try and get them and gaslight them into being represented by him and also to work with Jimmy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because Effie's absolutely refused.
0: And the guy that he pays off, the host said, "Well, they weren't going to win anyway." Well,
1: but we'll never know.
0: Yeah, but they weren't going to. There's the whole the character who was wearing he was like the gold spot. Yeah, I know what you mean. Guy. He's like an
1: older guy, and he performs like a really slow song in a moment when he wins, and he's just yeah, like he's he
0: obviously like the guy in wherever they are. Yeah, and so he was going to win anyway because he always wins or something like that. Yeah, and I mean,
1: his was the most boring performance of all of them but you know
0: it's the fact that we meet curtis here and he has nothing to do with this industry he's literally a car salesman yeah and then we're supposed to like him i guess because it's not really mentioned again until they start the sort of payola
1: scheme that starts happening a little dishonest
0: Well, it's not even dishonest, it's illegal. No,
1: I know. And this is the thing, is you can kind of understand here, like, he's desperate for an in. Mm -hmm. He's going to do whatever he can to get himself in. It's like that first step on the ladder. But it's nasty the way he does it. Mm -hmm. So they all agree to go on eventually, because they've lost, they've got nothing nothing Mm -hmm. else to do. So they go on, they perform with Jimmy. Really successfully, they do fake your way to the top. I like the moment where, like, Laurel is instantly like, Oh my god, Jimmy, and like really into him
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the way he talks and his interactions. I liked him, even though he's a he's not a nice character. I liked his energy and I think his performance was great. And whenever he was on stage, I knew I was going to enjoy kind of the performance. Yeah. We have them perform and then we go backstage. It's him, Marty, and Curtis. Yes. And he's like, they're okay, but they won't last. You know, I'm not going to perform with them again. And they start hatching ideas. Jimmy wants new material. He's bored of doing the same thing night in, night out. And Marty's like, yeah, but it works. You know, you're here.
0: Yeah, but Curtis introduces Cece, which is Effie's brother, to him and says, "Okay, you know, let's write you a song. This kid's a genius. He's a composer.
1: One of the worst songs I've ever heard.
0: What, Cadillac Car?
1: I hated Cadillac Car. Do you know what?
0: I like the joke that it becomes. I like the joke that it becomes. And the way that it affects the plot. Yeah,
1: I think that's great. And I love what this song represents. However, if you're going to introduce this kid as a genius lyricist.
0: Well, he's not. That's the point. He's not a genius lyricist. It's Curtis just trying to make some money. I know it's
1: the hype hype man thing. Yeah. But it's like the song is just okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, you know, I think it's great, you know, that they obviously they start selling this they record it they sell it they do well with it
0: and then suddenly it ends up in the pop charts because it is covered by a guy called dave and the sweethearts yep um with his white version of cadillac car that suddenly is doing a lot better than their version
1: and you've got this really great like glittery backdrop and like what is it the birth of venus Yeah, like a clamshell. And him standing there and wheeled out. And you're just like, you feel the injustice of this moment Mm -hmm. so well. And you're like, you can completely understand why everything that happens onwards happens. Yes. Because there's that glass ceiling and they keep getting pushed further, further down.
0: Mm -hmm. So the outcome of this is... They have a new song called Step Into the Bad Side.
1: I loved Step Into the Bad Side.
0: Really good song, but Curtis, Cece and Wayne, who was introduced here. He's like a producer. Yeah,
1: he's this random guy that's singing as well. This random dude that
0: shows up at certain times. Um, They start this payola scheme. Payola is where you pay radio hosts or disc jockeys to play your song which gives the impression that it's a really popular song and then affects where it is in the charts the issue is it's completely illegal because if you're being paid to play a song you have to like on your taxes you have to declare it it because it's a sponsorship and then if you say it's a sponsorship the song is not affected on the charts because it's being played through sponsorships not through like radio hits So they have this whole conversation about like, oh, if we get caught, we'll go to jail, but that's fine.
1: Yeah, because we've got <laughs> like, nothing to lose anyway. Okay, you sure? Yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, it works. And it works
0: yeah.
1: Uh, they become super successful. And what I really like is that we have Marty and Curtis butting heads and like constantly like, okay, fine. You've got him a hit, you've got him a new sound, but you'll never get him to perform in Florida because that's a white place Mm -hmm. that will never happen stop filling his his brain with with dreams Mm -hmm. because you're only going to let him down yes and i really like marty i think marty's one of the unsung heroes in this because he's just genuine yep you know in this industry which seems to bring out the worst in a lot of our characters Mm
0: -hmm.
1: he remains quite mellow don't get me wrong i'm sure he's you know, made mistakes and looks the other way when Jimmy does something bad. But he seems nice and likeable. And whenever he was on stage, I knew that he was like your voice of reason. Yes. We obviously as well have in the background, Effie is dating Curtis. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy, who is married, is having an affair with Laurel. Which does make me like him a lot less as a person.
0: I mean, they, they frame it interestingly with Jimmy and Laurel because we obviously never see Jimmy's wife. Yeah. But the way that she's talked about, she clearly has no idea what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, really in this, the only character that I think, okay, you're probably a good person is Dina. <laughs> Yes, and even then, there's some things like her not, like her refusing to listen to Effie and things, are completely understandable. But that's like her only character for. Well,
1: because this is it. So with Dina, we've we've had a scene where you know she's on the phone to her mum, and mum's like, "I finally got enough money for you to come and train to be a teacher, so you're going to come home." And Effie, you know, again, convinced her to give up that and and stay here. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is all of these characters don't really have much to them in terms of, like, what makes them who they are. Like, Laurel's defining feature is the fact that she's having this affair Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with Jimmy. She's basically just the other dream girl. Otherwise, you know, we don't get much focus on her. And when we do have moments where she's trying to broker the peace, Mm -hmm. it's far and few between. Dina exists at this point to be quite modest m- meek and mild. Yep. There's, there's not much depth to these characters. And like you say, could we have had a scene that shows Jimmy at home with his wife? Yeah. Possibly. You know, add a little bit more character to him there. Because he's just this playboy otherwise. They are just like very basic two-dimensional characters.
0: Mm.
1: That through the songs we start to enjoy but there's not much more to them otherwise. It's like Cece is so boring as well. Yeah. Because he comes on and he creates, you know, and and this is it. Like I, I very much, he's like trying to calm Effie down. The fact that Effie needs her brother there to be like, you know, the go between. And then he creates like Cadillac car. And I'm just like, he's not got an idea. And you know it does get better. Obviously, the more he's exposed to what he gets better. But even then, he doesn't get any character depth. Oh Every- yeah. Everyone just sides to get sides against Effie, which I'm completely on board with because Effie's the only character who's had any detail whatsoever, and she's arrogant, egotistical thing. She's better than everyone. Mm-hmm. So act one does kind of build us up to this point here, where you know Curtis replaces Marty, and. Tries to transform Jimmy's whole image. So he becomes a pop singer. And he also wants to split the Dreamettes away. They're going to become their own act. They're going to become the dreams. Mm-hmm. And the biggest change is the fact that Effie will no longer be the lead singer. Dina will. Yes. And everyone is saying, let's do this. It's the right thing to do. Because you're too big a personality. It won't work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't feel that there's any anything untowards about this decision. Like, it doesn't feel like they're doing this because of the way she looks. I, I never got that vibe. I know that she does. She's like, oh, is it because of the way I look? I don't feel like it's ever presented like it is that way. Even
0: Yeah, she she has this line, Effie, where she says something like, Dean is beautiful, she's always been beautiful, but like she can't sing the way that I can. Which is uh, true from what we've presented through yes. the rest of the show. But they don't want Effie's style of, not even her style of singing, but the way that she sings, like her power. Yeah. Doesn't sell well.
1: This is it. All of this is a very. They do a
0: bad job of explaining it to her. Right. It's not great. No.
1: And and that's maybe the one flaw they have with this is the way they explain it to her. Otherwise, I'm completely on board with this choice for Effie to be going in the background to give Dina the chance. Mm -hmm. The fact that Effie is not willing to makes me dislike her. You know, I think Laurel says it brilliantly, where she's like, I sing in the background and I've never complained. Do you think you're better than me? Mm -hmm. And Effie's like, yes, I do. So this bit here, I'm like, "Okay, Effie, you're the bad guy. Yeah. And eventually, you know, they all have a go with family at trying to convince her that this is the right thing for the family. Mm -hmm. And they move forward with it. They make their debut and it's a, it's a success uh the press want to meet everyone, but they're most interested in Dina and this is where you start to see out of the corner of Effie's eye that there might be more to Curtis and Dina, yeah. However, we never see anything happening. There's one moment where, like, Curtis is like, you look really good. And Dina looks uncomfortable by it. Mm
0: -hmm. And he
1: says that, you know, I'm going to make you a star. You're going to be the most famous woman who's ever lived. But nothing that makes me feel they're actually having an affair. No, it's more the... I think
0: it's a body language thing. Yes. I guess. I don't know. We've had a couple of things, right? None of them are from Dina. They're all from Curtis. Yes. So we had a thing earlier where Curtis was like, hey, Dina, you look beautiful today. And she was like, okay, thanks. But and then so like left. Un-
1: but so uncomfortable by it as well. Yeah,
0: and you can see that she's uncomfortable with it. And then he's always touching her or putting his arm around her. or like He likes to hold onto her shoulders, which yeah. we- gets worse. The further through the show we get. But he is so touchy-feely with her. And he's not with Effie. Like, with Effie, he only ever touches her hands. Yeah. Which is, like, really well-directed. Yeah. Very, very clever. But, yeah, it's interesting. And then... But if you think from, like, Dina's perspective, if you were accused of having an affair with this guy... Yeah. Like, I feel like you would be really mad about it. Yeah. And that's fine, especially because she's not at this point. And
1: especially when she says, no, I'm not. And it keeps going. She's like, I'm not. I've told you. You know, this is the thing. Is for me, the way it's directed, it felt like a power play more than anything else. That it's almost like a focus on me. I'm the powerful one in charge of you. Not so Who much.
0: Curtis. Yeah, yeah. towards
1: Dino. It never felt like it was a romantic thing.
0: Yes, he just wants to be able to control her. That's it. And we see that later when they are actually married in Act 2. Yeah. There was this whole thing where... I don't know whether this was on purpose, right? But I started thinking about it because, like you say, a lot of Act 2 is very talky and I zoned out a little bit. But Dina wears these two, like, diamond bracelets for almost the entirety of Act 2 and... They're very gaudy, (laughs) Mm. but the further, like, while she's shackled to Curtis, she's always wearing both of them, and then when she's on her own, she doesn't wear them, and then when she leaves him, she's wearing one, because there's still that chance that she could get back with him. I'm probably overthinking this. Maybe she lost one off stage, like the actress or something, but she was wearing one when she leaves him, and then afterwards, she doesn't wear them at all, and I was like, this is a really interesting, like, shackled to this person metaphor, yeah. potentially. Like, if it was a film, I would definitely argue that.
1: Oh, yeah, because it, it would not be random. I say this to kids all the time when I teach them, is nothing is random when it comes to the mise-en-scene of the stage or the screen. Yeah. Everything is everything. Don't get me wrong. As Game of Thrones has shown, we can have mistakes and Starbucks cups accidentally make it on. Yes. However, nothing is random, usually. Mm-hmm apparently we jumped forward a few years which makes sense in hindsight but at the time didn't yeah I felt this is a very quick thing and again knowing that this happens years makes me hate Effie could you imagine if every day well I say could you imagine I'm sure you can going to work every day and having to deal with that one person mm-hmm. and especially when you're Dina and you're trying trying to have these conversations with her being like Effie, I'm not having an affair with your boyfriend. I just, want, I just want to do my job. And, you know, we see her coming on and being unprofessional. They get themselves set for a recording of a TV show. Yeah. And they've had to do it so many times because that third one's bad attitude, which is now inf- impacting all of them. The way she comes on stage, like casually. Again, great performance from Nicole Raquel Dennis. You know, the way she's coming on and just like, doesn't care. They do their songs and she leaves and they do a performance on stage and they leave and they shout backstage and rails like, why are you doing this? Yeah. This montage is really effective because I get the sense of passage of time due to changing locations, the music changing, and the costume changing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Did I know it was years? No. Knowing it's years now, it makes me hate her even more. Yeah. Even rail tries to keep the peace, but... They can't. And we now move to 1967. They're Dina Jones and the Dreams, and they're about to make their Las Vegas debut. Mm-hmm. Jimmy stops by to visit the girls. You know, he's had his own success. And he's like, I, w- I wouldn't miss your big day. And yeah. This is where he learns that Effie's been missing shows because of illnesses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there is a more positive vibe, I think, between Dina and Lorelle at this point. It's like they've got a bit of relief. And they keep saying, it's like, we don't need to worry because someone's going to talk to her. Mm. Someone's going to talk to her. Someone's going to talk to her. Someone's going to talk to her. And it's eventually revealed when Effie shows up, she can't find her dress.
0: Oh, that they've replaced her. Yeah. What is the name of this other dream girl? Michelle. Michelle. Now, I'm pretty certain they never say it yeah. until the end of the show. Now,
1: this is another thing that I really dislike about the script because mm. she exists. She's MacGuffin, Michelle.
0: Oh, poor Michelle.
1: She is though. What? What other? What other contributions does she have in this narrative outside of being Effie's replacement?
0: Mm. Nothing really. Exactly. Because like. We see later on, basically through the whole rest of the show, that even when... What, do they, what are they called now? The Dreams?
1: Yeah, Dina Jones and The Dreams. Yeah,
0: so even when they're performing, nobody is interviewing Michelle or... Laurel. Laurel. Oh, that's hard to say it together. They just want to talk to Miss Jones, which that's a Diana Ross reference, Miss Ross. Yeah. like clearly anyway um but they only want to talk to her and laurel even makes jokes a couple of times that like that's fine just act like we're not here and like they leave so they're not we don't learn anything about her as a character ever
1: this is it and that's one of the things i really dislike is that this character is literally just bought in she'll do the odd musical number but that's it Mm -hmm. it's like it's ridiculous give her a personality give her something Even Laurel's at least having an illicit affair. And that sucks because that's all we get from her. Yeah. But at least she's got something to do. Why Mm -hmm. not just kick her out? You know, just have two people. You know, it would be better than having someone who's bought in to literally do nothing. Yeah. Obviously, we are going to learn. It's not that she's ill. Mm -hmm. It's that she was pregnant.
0: Yes, and I, so I knew this anyway, because I knew, I know the plot of this show. So watching it as an adult, I feel like (laughs) she could have said more.
1: Yeah, she should have.
0: Like, I know she said, oh, but I've been unwell. If she'd have been like, oh, I've been throwing up every morning or just randomly throwing up all the time, because obviously morning sickness doesn't just
1: happen Mm -hmm. in the morning.
0: Dina might have caught on. Yeah. Because if one of my friends was like, oh, I'm just feeling so unwell all the time. I'm tired all the time. Like, I feel sick constantly. I'd be like, mm, time to do a pregnancy test.
1: There more needs to be done in terms of the script there to suggest that she's pregnant. Like, you say it without saying she's pregnant, and then you either make the decision to dislike... Even if
0: the other characters don't get it, we well, as an audience I mean. should get it Yes, here.
1: we should get it, and we don't. Because instead, I just look at it as being unreliable. Like that, that, that is it. I feel like she's making excuses and she's trying to still sabotage the band.
0: Yeah, well, because the last thing we saw her do was purposely walk off because mm. she's annoyed with
1: yeah. Curtis, and that's all I think she's doing here is that she is now deliberately trying to sabotage the whole whole band. So mm-hmm. she's she's not showing up to shows and she's claiming she's ill, and I I don't care. So that when when she is replaced, like yes, it's awkward, but I think good. Yeah, because. You are the one thing bringing this act down. Mm-hmm. If it was more explicit she was pregnant here, then I might... F- I, I, obviously, I still dislike her.
0: Well, especially because she's not with Curtis anymore at this point. I think yes. as an audience, we would be like, oh God,
1: mm-hmm. of
0: course she's angry. Yeah. Like she's... it would be more understandable. Exactly.
1: It's a little bit of a humanising effort to her. You know, she confronts Curtis and that's it. But mm-hmm. we do get, and I'm telling you I'm not going, and this is the highlight of the show. Like Act one builds to this moment. And it's so weird to have such like a great number from a character I detest. Yeah. Because it's just weird. It's like the performance of this makes me love Effie and I feel the injustice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which I've not felt at any other point in time. And I feel like if the script had been better and it built this moment better, this song would hit me on an even better level than it already does. And it already hits me on a really good level. Her performance was great. You could feel the rawness in, in her voice. The way she was moving her hands, you could tell she was broken at this point in time. Yeah. Again, if we knew explicitly in this moment she's pregnant, she's lost her boyfriend, she's lost her friends. Mm-hmm. This, this song hits even harder than it already does. It's beautiful, and you can see why this is like the iconic Dream Girls number. Yeah. And like, she didn't even finish, and the crowd were already like rapturous applause.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was great. It was the oh, best part of the show.
0: The whole audience atmosphere was great at this show.
1: Yeah, actually, that, that's something. We've not talked about how nice the actual theatre itself is, but like, you got in, we got in early, and we were looking at like the ceilings, so you got all the different like.
0: Oh, yeah, the paintings of the Greek gods and yeah. stuff like that, which is always really cool. I love an old theatre.
1: Yeah, it's really nice.
0: But, yeah, we have. I think we saw this with a really good audience.
1: The right kind of whooping. Not like people singing along or taking their shoes off. Thank goodness. We have people actually involved in it. Yes. Know? Which and, made, boosted me.
0: And, like, mid-song cheers is such a cool thing. To be around, and especially with the
1: vibe of this, where like it's diegetic sound at times, and we're cheering them as they're performing, Mm -hmm. as the dreams. But yeah, act Act One ends. You know, she's out the band, and the dreams go on without her. Yeah, and we come back, and we learn. You know, five years have passed. Mm -hmm. They're now the most successful girl group in the country, and they are coming back for their final show ever. Or is it like? back for the first time in five years to Las Vegas. Something like that. And a lot is different. Yes.
0: Yeah. They're like the most successful band ever or in the country
1: at this point. They've done world tours. Mm -hmm. So it's like a global appeal.
0: Says here, Cece is in love with Michelle.
1: Yes. uh, Did you
0: get any of that?
1: No. So this is the thing. We always, I mean, we, we take our notes anyway, but when we're recapping it, we always like to have a plot synopsis in front of us, especially with the live theatre ones where the note taking is.
0: I kind of love it when it yeah. says things like that. And I'm like, are you sure? Yeah,
1: I, I, I saw this and I was like, is he? Mm-hmm. I got no I got no vibe of this. Like literally. And do you know what? Maybe that's something that's been cut. Maybe there was originally a subplot where Cece was in love with Michelle yeah. And Michelle's not interested in him, or Michelle's just using it to try and get bigger roles.
0: And it got cut or something. Yeah, but that I would guess. be so
1: interesting for her character dynamic is like she keeps, you know, like worming her way forward. And, you know, she gets bigger parts in songs because Cece wants to write for his muse. And the fact that Cece is dating his sister's replacement, I'd remember like that. That would have been
0: interesting, but it's not in that. Yeah.
1: So they perform. Jimmy is is rock bottom, gone years without a hit, and is now just performing all the old uh, songs. Mm-hmm. And Curtis is too busy focusing on Dina. And also, we hear, like, Jimmy sneaks things into shows where he's like, you got to stop doing this, you got to stop doing this. Yeah. But yeah, we have some nice, like, opening interactions. Act two is like a blur, but like I said, it really felt like it dragged. Mm-hmm. We're kind of going back and forth between three worlds here. We're going back with the dreams, you know, between Dina and Curtis. Yeah. Then we have moments with Laurel and Jimmy. And then we see Effie trying to start again like a phoenix. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So she's back in Chicago. We learn that she's got a daughter. And Marty is her manager. And I was really pleased to see Marty back. Mm-hmm. And you know, even here, like a club night or you know a performance, she looks and she sees that no, and I'm just like, oh god, same old Effie. It's not the person who usually records for her, and she's going on and on to Marty about how, like, you know, I can't perform without my 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 team. I refuse to do this, and Marty's like, well, I guess that's it then. No more chances. Cause this is the last theatre will hire you because of your attitude. Yeah, she has learned nothing
0: mm-hmm.
1: at all. So I start acting, the first time we see her, I'm like, oh, okay, you still suck. She's dressed far more conservatively than she has been before. Yeah. Um, Obviously, this is her mother attire. But it leads to one of the best parts is during this song where she does go on stage and she sings, I am changing. Mm -hmm. This is one of my favourite moments in the show again, because it's like all these different things coming together beautifully that she sings and we have the lights close in on her face. So like it's literally just a box around her face. Yeah. And you have like the stage crew come on and they, 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 I assume take off like the, the conservative oh, no, it clothes. It wasn't
0: the stage crew. She did it. Did, she did. Yeah. It. So the, uh, the, cause I was watching this specifically, I love this costume change. So it's basically, she's, it's like a shirt, oversized shirt and skirt kind of thing that she's wearing. And the shirt turns inside out. Yes. Um, so she just has to I mean I'm assuming it's either Poppers, probably Poppers or Magnets. Uh Velcro tends not yeah. to be used because of well. the noise, yeah. So she it's probably magnets, so she just pulls the magnets and then drops her arms down and it turns inside out, turns into the blue, like incredible dress that it's she's wearing. It's a
1: great moment. It really is fantastic because you know, we get get this pinnacle of the song and the lights come back out and she's now dressed like Effie again. And you've got, like, an audience there cheering her. And you just think, that was cool. That was such a brilliant transition. mm mm-hmm. And, like, everything between set, you know, lighting, costume, working together. And, like, it stuck with me. And I-, I just adored it so much. Yeah. Dina, we, you know, we, get, we cross back. Dina wants to stop singing. She wants to become an actress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's she's telling Curtis of this. We get the one more picture, please. One, one, one more picture, please.
0: Yeah, which apparently this is a Vogue photo shoot.
1: Yeah, I never got the sense it was a Vogue photo shoot. I just thought it was a post-show thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Curtis refuses to let her go. And we have this really like nasty gaslighting song when I first saw you.
0: Oh, my God. I want to talk about this song before. His whole thing where he spent such a long time trying to get with her like literally since before he was with Effie. Yeah. And now he's singing this song about like, wow, the first time I ever saw you, you were a dream and like, I immediately fell for you. Uh, How is she not answering that and saying, okay, but you date my friend first. Yeah. Like that's weird. Yeah. When I first saw you, you dated my childhood best friend first. And now you're saying that you liked me that whole time. Like, why would you treat her like that? Oh, that's crazy. But also he's the crazy. way he does
1: it is the way he like grabs her neck and he's not choking her, but it looks like he is.
0: It's like the underside of her jaw that he's holding on to. But it's yeah, it's super creepy.
1: It's so, so not nice. And, you know, basically is saying you are not going to do this because I have control of you. You are my wife and you're going to do what I say. Cece's also struggling. Because Curtis is always changing his songs, yeah, and he's getting f- so angry with it because he's he's the one that's supposed to do this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he wants his emotional ballad "One Night Only" to be the same, but Curtis is like, no, I've got a new sound and it's gonna it's gonna do that. Yes. We cut to the National Democratic fundraiser. We have the five tuxedos come out and do like their little performance.
0: Yeah, that was cute.
1: And then we have a backstage moment between Jimmy and Laurel, where it's been like they've been together seven years. Yeah. And again, this is where really, so we we've heard that Effie's daughter is seven, and they've been together for seven years. But Effie wasn't. Effie didn't have a baby five years ago. And two years haven't passed in this time because this feels like it's, it's the same kind of time period. Not much has changed. We've not really had enough
0: mm-hmm.
1: here. So actually, the math is wrong. I'm, I'm certain of it. The math is wrong. Yes, maybe Lorel, and, and that's where they got caught up on this. Lorel and Jimmy probably have been together for seven years because there was the two years pre-pregnancy. Effie's daughter shouldn't be seven. She should be five. Because only five years have passed since Effie was kicked out the band.
0: Oh, but I I took this to mean that we jumped forwards two years here.
1: No, because we, we've had the seven years. We've had the two years pre-Effie being kicked out of the dreams.
0: Yeah, but I assumed that at this point in the show, where Laurel is like, we've been together for seven years. I was like, okay, we've jumped two more years forwards now.
1: But we haven't.
0: No, we haven't. It was very strange.
1: And that's it. The math is wrong. And that that, that just bugs me. It's, it's a simple thing. Yeah. And you've got it so wrong. But it is what it is. They have their argument. Uh, ain't no party. Mm-hmm. You know, that. You know what is the nature of our relationship? Seven years I've dedicated to you. Either you leave your wife for me or we're done. Jimmy goes to the stage. And, you know, I, it just...
0: His whole thing where he's like, I've got to perform.
1: Yeah. And he has his breakdown on stage where he, he does this song. He's just like, I'm not feeling this. He goes, do you want to see, you know, something else? And like his mannerisms are great when he's on stage. I love the things he does where he like, he he, he drops and he kicks the mic stand. He did the has, splits
0: at one he's point.
1: He's so mm. talented. Yeah. And then he's like, you know, and he, he unbuttons his shirt, gets a massive whoop from the audience. Mm-hmm. And then he takes his trousers down. Yes and
0: he ends up just in his pants and he says afterwards when he comes off stage curtis is mad yes and he's like oh no that was an accident (laughs) i love that
1: yeah (laughs) like absolutely uh yeah curtis is embarrassed he fires him um and like jimmy's like come on Lorel, help me out here yeah and she's like not only are you fired we're over which is And gr- she
0: says, sorry, I've got to go, I've got a show to do, which
1: like But this is the thing, right? Again, Laurel's arc is kind of she's stuck in this this this
0: dead end relationship dead end relationship
1: and now she's that but it's always also presented it's not like a big like yeah you go girl moment. It's a way to kick a man when he's down.
0: Mm.
1: Do you know what I mean? It could be seen as both ways, and that's because their relationship is very toxic. <laughs> yeah, it's very toxic. But they're also she exists just for this because this is what happens when white men Right women. Yes. You know? So Oh that could be a T shirt. <laughs> like or something, do you know that like just as a slogan. White men, right women. You know, yeah. like What's the whole um and like a little cross like center sign. We don't want, you know, white men to write women, you know.
0: Yeah. There's a fantastic um I believe she's a voice actor on TikTok who just reads the most offensive ways that men have written women to be in books. Yeah. And it's actually, it's like as a, a female presenting person, it's very funny to listen to. It's terrible, but they're very yeah. funny to listen well, to. Just like just men don't know how women work.
1: And that's why I dislike the representation of Effie so much. Yeah. Because she's painted as this hysterical, crazy woman. Because mm-hmm. she is, she's paranoid that her friend is going to steal her man. That's what it is. That's not okay. Yeah. You know, and that's a a result of being written by men.
0: Mm. Had
1: a woman written this, we might have got more nuance to it. Yeah. You know, maybe she'd have walked in and she would have seen Dina kissing Curtis, Mm -hmm. but she left just as Dina stopped the kiss and was like, what about Effie, you know? And that still sucks, but at least that's something. So you, you you get a sense of like Effie being heartbroken and blaming Dina
0: yeah.
1: for a reason, even if it's not Dina's fault. Here, it's just crazy woman.
0: Mm. So <laughs> Cece has written this song, One, one night, night Only, only one which night only. is sort of his big song that he has come up with, and he talks about it like it's his magnum opus kind of yeah. thing, and curtis wants it to be more disco-esque because the the
1: the times they are changing
0: well so the dreams version of it is called one night only disco yeah but he wants it to be a ballad and he says that having it be upbeat will take away from the meaning of the song yes and curtis says nobody wants to listen to the words they just want to dance which is not true but so cc behind curtis's back goes and
1: reconciles with Effie. Which is a really nice moment when he apologises to her. and He's like, like, I
0: should have come sooner. Like,
1: Especially because it's not just a friendship, that's her brother and the fact that they've been apart for seven years or five years, whatever.
0: Mm.
1: Presumably he has never met his niece.
0: No, he won't have.
1: You know, and you get the sense that they're pretty much all each other have anyway. Yeah. So this is a really nice moment and she does uh, record One Night Only in its original pure format and it's very good.
0: And, and it starts climbing the charts. It's doing so well. And Curtis immediately panics. Early releases Dina's version. Yep. And starts paying off literally everyone.
1: Now, I do like this sequence going back and forth, watching it rise and seeing the difference in the different versions of the songs. I like the disco version. I do prefer Effie's version. Mm-hmm. This is perhaps one of the worst... Lit moments of theatre I've experienced since doing this podcast. I actually had to close my eyes Mm -hmm. because the bright lights of the disco balls. I I was oh, and there was
0: no um, epilepsy warning. I'm not epileptic.
1: I'm not saying this from that. I but. I was in pain. I actually had to shut my eyes. Because but you get
0: really bad migraines. As well. I get really bad
1: migraines, and I've had eye surgery in the past. The only time I can remember it being bad and having this issue with lighting was Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. But that was like a month post eye surgery and having mm. no vision in my left eye, mm. and the bright lights of that hurt. This is it was, was just painful with the disco lights because they're shining out into the audience. And, and I we actually, were like pretty
0: central. So it was just hitting us.
1: I shut my eyes through this whole sequence. So I don't, I can't comment as to what happened when those lights started. I had to shut my eyes because I honestly...
0: I say it was a dance sequence, which was a very well-performed dance sequence. But like you say, it was really... Like the performers were overshadowed by this crazy lighting sequence, which...
1: Pretty, I guess, sums up what, you know, Curtis's goals are. They're there to dance and have a good time. Well, they're all
0: backlit too. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it's supposed to be like that and it's a bit, like, completely over the top. And so we're supposed to think, oh, this isn't very good.
1: I guess this song is a really good, like, metaphor for Dreamgirls as a whole. Mm. All style, no substance.
0: Uh, So Effie... (laughs) Cece, who no longer works for Curtis, and Marty, who is was Jimmy's agent, but I don't think we've talked about him much. No, Yeah, but he's
1: now Effie's... He's now
0: Effie's agent. They discover that Curtis has been paying not only for Dina's version to go up in the charts, but he's been paying people to put Effie's version down, which is... That's, like, the issue here. We already knew he was doing the payola thing. So she hires a lawyer... And goes backstage at a Dreams concert with her lawyer and Dina overhears this conversation and is yeah. like, I'm sorry, you've been paying. Like, she had this whole thing at one point where she was talking about she promised her mother that she would be somebody. Yeah. And that she would make something of herself. And be a And good to find person. out that your entire career is based off of somebody paying for you to be successful like yeah. that's this moment where she's like none I, of this has been my own success
1: you've none of this paying, is real
0: yeah you've been paying everyone off
1: yeah and you know they have these moments and it's really nice because you know you have dina and effie do reconcile
0: mm-hmm.
1: during this moment i especially like the bit where you know effie's like well i've got some choice words for you and little miss i'm not dating curtis yeah. Because, like, seemingly as well, it's the most damning thing that she could have done is then married the guy. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it justifies everything Effie was ever complaining about. And it's the one thing Dina does that I'm like, why? Why does it need to Why be would written? you marry this guy? Why does she need to marry him? Why can he not just have control of her career? Well, she found him creepy before. That's it. Like... Why are they married? The marriage makes no sense and doesn't need to happen because it doesn't fit her character through and she all of genuinely,
0: She genuinely never seems to like him. Yeah. Even obviously, we're five years in the future. He's a creep and very controlling and abusive, but it's all very strange. Yeah. Anyway, they reconcile.
1: Yes, and this is where we oh, la- she and She
0: finds out that Magic uh, Effie's daughter is called Magic is Curtis's kid, and
1: we had a very long discussion about we had, this. Uh, yeah, we had we had a uh, we had quite an in depth conversation on this. Yeah. I think this is the worst thing Effie does.
0: Does not tell Curtis about. Yeah. Magic.
1: Don't get me wrong. Curtis doesn't... Curtis doesn't deserve...
0: No, not ...either at all. in their
1: life, but he deserves the choice and he deserves the right to know. Mm,
0: he has no rights to this child.
1: No, but I think from my perspective of a, a really bad dad who basically walked out on me, if I... I, I don't ever want to do that to my children... So if I had a child out there that I didn't know about, that would break my heart. Yeah. You know, and I just think Effie should tell him.
0: Do you know what I find really interesting with this show? Obviously, Magic as a character, we never see. Yeah. I think it would be very interesting if she was in it. Mm. Like, if you have this little seven-year-old that's at all the concerts, she's like being trailing around with her mom, basically yeah. like at the rehearsal at the uh, audition that she goes to if she was here and dina was like who's this and she's like oh this is my daughter magic and dina was like oh how old are you magic and she's like i'm seven and then dina's like oh god yeah
1: <laughs> like the... that would be interesting yeah, I that think. would be a moment to do it. obviously
0: you then because they're on tour you then
1: have to hire a lot of kids but I mean, I will say the issue with that is that it's one more character for them to have to write into this. And they mm-hmm. already proved they can't do that with Michelle. Mm-hmm. But you're right. That would be a really nice moment if you just had this bit where Magic's like, I am five or seven. And Dina is like, oh. Oh, oh no. You know?
0: Because then we could have this, like, we don't need Curtis. We don't need more script to happen. We don't need Curtis and her to have a conversation about it. But it would be interesting to have Curtis look and be like, huh. And then move on because he, like, he wouldn't care about that no, at all. No, he would based just reference the
1: fact, he, yeah. They yeah, would just be looking and and that's, like, huh. and that's enough for me. That's enough to fix that problem. But the fact that it's never even brought up, yeah. I don't like. Um, anyway,
0: Dina leaves him. Dina
1: leaves him and uh, goes to do her own life. They go to do um, a final concert so she can do a movie career. And Effie's One not Only is now a number one hit. Mm-hmm. And...
0: Oh, they sing the reprise. Their final song is the reprise of dream girls. And yes. Dina brings out Effie onto the stage and she says that there weren't always three Dream Girls, there were four. Three and a half, three and a half.
1: <laughs> Poor Michelle. Th- this is it. I say this, like... Michelle... She's
0: great. She's brilliant with all she... the dancing. Really She sings good. as well as the rest of yeah, them. But really... they, she just isn't given anything Yeah, she's do. a really
1: good performer, but there is nothing for her to do. Mm-hmm. Like, she exists solely to move the story forward and that's that's not okay you know that it's not okay for some some of these characters Mm that's dream girls i know we've skipped over quite a few of the songs but the thing is it's quite difficult to keep track of some of the songs because it literally is so song heavy it's like looking at act one yeah 21 songs in act one Mm
0: -hmm.
1: 18 in act two and they bleed into each other very very quickly and sometimes as well as like i wasn't sure because there's a little bit of dialogue in between and they move on like i wasn't sure if it was a brand new song or just a continuance of a song yeah but yeah in terms of best songs it's really really easy to say and i am telling you i'm not going is is the best song Mm
0: -hmm.
1: would you agree that it's your best song
0: uh, no, mine's One Night Only, but it's because I like that song outside of the show as well.
1: Fair enough. I mean, I'll tell you what, one of the songs, what we'll do, I mean, one of the songs I would actually listen to and put on the musicals playlist, mm-hmm. I would add Step Into the Bad Side. Yeah. I really enjoyed Step Into the the, the Bad Side. I thought that was good. I think the titular Dream Girl song is good. Mm-hmm. The thing is, so many of these songs are very forgettable as well. They're great performances on stage, but we move on to other songs, and that sounds awful. What would you say is your skip song? Like, what I'm would you? Not sure. There's a lot of them. I, I I'm even looking at now, and I'm like, I don't really remember it. I
0: maybe as much as I really enjoyed. Oh no, I know what my skip song is. It's the first time I saw you. When I first saw you.
1: Oh, yeah. Not listening to that. (laughs) Ever again. I agree with that one. I would also say Cadillac Car. I just don't like Cadillac Car.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, and I think for a song that's supposed to be this big number, that's like, we'll move everything forward. Yeah. It doesn't hit it for me. It's just kind of like, I I feel the injustice, sure. But I don't feel like the song was great to begin with. You know, absolute highlight is... I'm telling you. Step Into the Bad Side's great. One Night only is great. And I do like the One Night Only disco when it gets a bit more upbeat. It's nice. It's not the same, but it's nice. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I do like the rap, like where Jimmy's just like, you know, pulling his pants down and stuff. I thought that was a great little number, mostly because of Jimmy's performance. Yeah. And I did like the firing of Jimmy sequence as well. That Mm -hmm. song's good. And I could listen to that. Who is your... MVP in this one. Yeah, no, go for it.
0: My MVP for this has to be Nicole Raquel Dennis, who played Effie. Oh my god, her singing. Is incredible. And obviously we've talked a lot about the script. We're not huge fans of the story of this one, but the music is incredible. Yeah. And her singing specifically is just like ridiculous, insane, so good.
1: Oh yeah. And this is the thing is looking at her CV, there's a chance we might've actually seen her perform before. She was understudy Norma in Waitress. There's no way to verify, you know, unless we go back into the archives and figure out when we saw waitress each time and if she was there, but that would have been cool. I could see her doing Norma. Nurse Norma. I love Nurse Norma. You know, and, and this is the other thing I think is very cool. She was a semi-finalist on The Voice in 2019. Mm-hmm. And she had a duet with Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. Which is very, very cool considering the trajectory of both their careers. Mm-hmm. Natalie Kasanga played Dina. She was great. She was absolutely phenomenal. All of these performers mm-hmm. are great. And Paige Petty as Laurel, Our three main dreams are absolute dreams and they complement each other's voices really well. And I would argue that they're only, you know, yes Nicole Rakhal Dennis is MVP. Mostly for like that end of act one for me. Mm -hmm. But all three of them are great. I really liked Dom Hartley Harris as Curtis Taylor Jr. Because he became more unhinged as the shows went on. He tries to be quite like calm Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: you definitely felt him losing it as the show went on and i thought he was very good yeah brandon lee sears i think he's my male mvp
0: as jimmy yeah
1: jimmy i loved it whenever jimmy was on stage i loved his performance i loved the energy i just thought it was really really crazy and fun obviously this week we're gonna skip who would we play Mm -hmm. uh for obvious reasons What's your star rating for this one? You know my one. I'm going to say it in a moment because you've seen my written review on our Buy Me A Coffee page, which you can go check out for free because I do, I'm do, i trying to write reviews as well as Early Thoughts. So you know what I've given this and I, you thought I was going to go lower.
0: I really did. I said two and a half. Yeah. Because, and I think it's just for the performance aspect of it. It's the singing, the dancing, the like te- technical aspects of this show. Rather than the story,
1: yeah. And for me, it's three stars. I I love the glitz, glamour, and there's some really beautiful moments. There were bits where you'd start gripping my hand because you saw something happen, and we had like really beautiful transitions, Mm -hmm. and that was really cool, and that was really lovely, and those moments were fantastic. However, the script is just the script is just not leaves a
0: lot to be desired.
1: Yeah. So for me, I said three stars. Definitely phased out a little bit act two. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot going on there, and I would, you know, I would want to look at the script and and make Effie seem more likable. Yeah. But like we've said throughout this one, men writing women
0: is never a good thing.
1: Never a good thing. Next week it is our third Disney episode. Yes. And we are going to be watching The Little Elephant That Could. <laughs> Dumbo. I don't know what to expect from this one. I really don't remember Dumbo. These early Disneys, I really don't remember them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I know, I mean, I know we're going to see a lot of racism.
0: Yes, we are.
1: Um, We're going to see an elephant fly. Yes. And I believe he has like a ringmaster mouse.
0: Timothy. Timothy Mouse, yeah.
1: It's going to be an... And there's a
0: train that says, I think I can, I know I can. Yeah,
1: I don't remember much about this one. But again, I remember this one kind of being a little like distressing
0: mm-hmm. and this I know I'm going to cry watching this yeah,
1: one I, I don't remember much about this one but I also just think it's like quite abstract and absurdist at times that like as a child watching Surrealist, this one yes. it's The surrealism in this one is going to be interesting mm-hmm. uh, to watch but yes I, I'm very excited to see what the uh, little Disney uh, trigger warning says
0: Yeah, me too I think it's very good that they've been doing that
1: I know, just intrigued to see what it actually says and i'm sure we'll talk about that next week when we cover dumbo dumbo Mm -hmm. as always you can subscribe to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms we are available over on apple podcasts on spotify on the google podcasts app on the amazon music app under the podcast section of the library you can find us on stitcher good pods and podbean if you enjoy the show why not share us with your friends subscribe so you don't miss out any new content or leave us a review on any of those platforms or podchaser.com you can also support the show on buymeacoffee.com if you feel so inclined but anything we post up on there is free as well so if you do want to go back and see some of the reviews that i've written about the shows we've gone to see live Mm -hmm. head on over there and see some of our thoughts You can get involved in the conversation over on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. Let us know your thoughts. Did we do Dreamgirls wrong? Or like Drew said, have you had that glass break moment where you suddenly realise, Effie, bit of a nightmare. Less dream, more nightmare.
0: Yeah.
1: As always, we will see you next week. Same bat face, same bat channel.
0: Have a magical musical Monday.